This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Hey, everyone. You know how sometimes you have one of those conversations that just like has you stop and makes you pause and rethink things and rethink how you define things? Well, this is one of those conversations that you probably are going to want to listen to more than once. I so enjoyed my time with Jen Marr. She is an author of an incredible book called Showing Up. She is the founder and CEO of an organization called Inspiring Comfort. And she has such an incredible background that actually started in business development. And then she ended up kind of working and using her background to help in crisis response for five years with the aftermath of the Sandy Hook shooting and also was unfortunately part of the Boston Marathon when the bombing was there. And taking all of that and really starting to dig into the research of this gap between us caring about people, yet people not feeling cared for. Take that in for a second. Many of us care. Many of us say we want to help. We have empathy. But most of us don't feel cared for. So there's a gap of how we feel, how we think, and the intention. And she talks a lot about then how do we bridge this gap and how do we actually truly help people feel seen and heard. And we talk about how this impacts Gen Z in the workforce and just so many wonderful nuggets. Like I said, I think you're going to want to just make sure you're tuning in. You're probably going to have to go back and listen to it more than once, but I think her work is so foundational and it's simple at the same time to help us truly rehumanize not just our workplaces, but our families, our communities, and more. Jen, so much of your work is relevant, period. But with all that is going on in our world and the constant challenges we keep hearing about with emotional and mental well-being and people feeling disconnected and the divisiveness, I just think this is so timely. And you have such an incredible background that is formed in trauma that is just so relevant. I would love it if we could start off and you just share kind of your background into the work you're doing today and so people have an understanding of that and how it's going to shape our conversation because it's fascinating to me. Yeah, life sometimes just happens, right? And thank you, Rosie, for inviting me on. So excited for this conversation. Um, well, my background was primarily in business development. I worked all over the world when I was younger and had to take a career break because of that international work. And when I was um, had my third daughter, I just could not keep it up. And during that career break, I found myself assisting out in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook Elementary um, tragic shooting, which is just 10 years ago now. I went in the school every week for five years, really helping to bring care and support, not in a professional capacity like counselors and therapists, those were there too. But the role that I played was to bring support and care and comfort. And over the course of that, those five years, really studied it very deeply as to this gap I was seeing, this gap that everybody cared. I mean, that was such a tragedy. There wasn't a person in the world that wasn't grieving for that school and community. But yet being in that school, people felt very alone and isolated. And people close to them didn't reach out because they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. And then ironically, 
four months after that tragedy, I was actually processing this tragedy while I went for runs. I was training for the Boston Marathon. And who could have thought that four months later, I was less than a half a mile from the finish line when the bombs went off at the Boston Marathon. And so now I was put into this realm of needing support or actually sometimes not even thinking I needed support because that's what happens with people that survive trauma. And so it led me on this journey, this deep dive into human pain and suffering and lack of connection and lack of community and lack of connection, really. And I started watching on the ground as these programs that were very well-intentioned to help rehabilitate a community um, failed in their efforts with forming any connection of any kind. And so that's kind of what put me on this path. I knew there had to be a better way. So for the last 10 years, five of which I was deep in the field doing this work, and the last five building out a business in this system to train how we can care and connect better, it's all I've done. So that business development mind that I started with kind of has just fueled my curiosity and passion to find better solutions for people that are struggling. I I love that. I mean, one, I love just, hey, there's a tragedy and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go be helpful, but then also recognizing, yeah, there's how many of us want to help with something, but we don't know what to do. And then having gone through your own trauma and again, channeling that to look at the space and help others. One, I just commend you for and just is so awesome. I, I'm always inspired by people who take hardship and are able to find a way to rechannel that into something purposeful and meaningful. That's phenomenal. And I want to go back to you because you said something really profound that I think is so important with so many different things going on in this world and people going through stuff. So many people talk about, I want to help or I care or I have empathy, but they don't know what to do. And one of the things that you've talked about in the past is that people care, but people don't feel cared for. You talk about this gap. So can you expand a little bit on what do you mean by this gap and what do we do with that? Well, it's so true. It's kind of, it started with that gap I saw in Sandy Hook and I set out to explore it and to really see if I could define it, in which case we've done that. That when we go and work with any kind of organization or company or school or college, we survey people, we assess them, we assess their behaviors, we assess their attitudes. And 80% of people we work with rate themselves as very, very empathic. They will say, I can tell when you're struggling. They want to help. Um, but yet the same amount, 80% of people will say, I don't feel seen when I struggle. So it's this gap that we find that what lives in that gap, what lives in that gap is awkward attitudes, mindsets, and behaviors that stop us from saying anything. And this is people it could be anything from burnout to stress and anxiety to loss to crisis to trauma. You name it. In the workplace, everyone's struggling right now. People are feeling not seen. And what happens is in the workplace, or even in life in general, it applies in all over our lives, is we have a whole bunch of different behaviors. Some are doubtful behaviors, like, oh, I'm not sure it's the right time. I don't know if I'm the right person to reach out. I don't think they want to hear from me. I don't want to make it worse. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Talk ourselves out of helping, even if we want to. Then we have 
the kind of deflecting behaviors that, you know, the behaviors that sound something like, hey, I don't think it's my job to step in. Hey, it's not my place to get involved there. Or, you know what, I have so many burdens of my own. I don't have time to get involved. Or somebody else can do that better. Or anything that basically just gives you a reason to say, hey, I'm not dealing with this because of this. And that happens a lot in the workplace because we have a lot of people that, you know, especially older leadership, like this didn't used to be the job of the workplace to focus on the whole employee. And look, if somebody has just gone through some sort of trauma or is crazily stressed out, they're not going to be performing as well. And maybe you should dive into what you can do to support them. So a lot of deflectors in the workplace. But then we also have the behaviors if we're face-to-face, right? Sometimes you can't just talk yourself out of it because you've got somebody in front of you that you have to deal with. You might run into someone in the supermarket. And when we fail to make someone seen, it will either because we fall into the fixer mentality. Fixer mentality is someone says they're dealing with something and the fixer immediately jumps in and just say, hey, try this or have you done that or what about this? And I know what you can do. And when that happened to me, and kind of invalidates the person that's struggling, right? When you're a fixer. And then, then lastly, we have those avoiders that will just not bring up the subject. That person is sitting right in front of them, but they will not bring up the name of someone they lost. They won't bring up the diagnosis they know they have. They won't bring up the fact that they know they're not sleeping or that they have two kids home with the flu. They'll talk about anything other than the struggle the person's dealing with just because they they don't know what to do. So we can assess that gap. And when we assess that gap and train against it, that's where we make progress and connection. At the core of it, what is standing out to me is when you talk about, you know, that we want to feel seen and, you know, it's a, it is a core human need to feel heard and seen and feel like we matter. And which is why when someone jumps in to fix or someone ignores us or someone listens with the intent to reply rather than understand, it violates that core human need. And what's so fascinating to me about that is it's, like you said, people are well-intended. It's more of like, I don't know what to do. Or I even think about when I've been going through stuff and I've been guilty of this of saying, well, let me know if I can help. But you don't even know, like you're in, when you're in that spot, you're like, thanks. But you're like, I wouldn't even know what to ask for because I'm not functioning coherently enough to even be able to Ask. So I think about like option B, the work, you know, of Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. I think about like sometimes you just need to do something or, hey, I'm just going to send this to your house or I'm just going to go do this or whatnot. Because when we're in that state, sometimes we can't even ask for what we want. So then a person's sitting there feeling alone because they may have all these people reaching out going, let me know what I can do. Let me know how I can help. And they don't even know where to begin to even take them up on that. So then they sit there and they feel even worse and even more alone. When you assess that gap, talk about when you say you train against it. How do you help people navigate through that? Like once you've assessed that gap, what are some of the things that could be helpful for the people listening here? Yeah, well, let's go through some of that. So when we do our personal assessment, people assess their own behaviors and they come back and they kind of judge. Like that one that you mentioned is such a good one. It's one of the top barriers people have is, hey, let me know how I can help. And People are so well-intentioned and they think that that's going to help, but it's so much awareness building, right? So that is the first step that when people understand these things that we say and do that have just kind of, I don't know where it came from, like how, you know, or another one is like, 
especially with college students, if someone's down, their immediate reaction is to try to cheer them up. And so sometimes a lot of it is going, even taking the assessment and having to think it through starts the process of being aware. Then what we do is we get together and we go through just a general keynote or a webinar that really walks people through how much things have changed and why this is different and why it's harder. And it goes back to so many things, especially the smartphone, that our human behaviors of caring for each other are being shot. Our attention spans are shot because we're not used to paying a lot of attention to the people around us anymore because any spare time is going straight into our screens. And so when we understand this and we know that, okay, life has changed, this is harder, we've got so much bad news in front of us every single day that it's hard to process how hard it is for someone really struggling because we're just surrounded by news every day. So we have to think about that. And we help them identify, okay, here are the languages and let's just talk about that. Let's understand what it is to be a fixer. Let's understand what it is to be an avoider. Let's understand what it is to be a deflector. And if you have the tendency to be a deflector, we have all sorts of tips and tools against that. So you have this employee that is reaching out to HR and saying, I need help with childcare. You as the boss might say, I'm just going to let HR deal with that, which leaves the employee feeling unseen. Or you can say, oh, I'm being a deflector there. Let me touch base with my employee. And it goes simple solutions like, oh my gosh, I saw your email to HR. Like this is, I can understand how difficult that must be. Please tell me how I can support you best. If HR is not giving you what you need, please keep me in the loop and let me know how I can support you. That's it. Seen, validated. And that, it's, that's so much of the awareness building is it's not the boss's job to fix it. Like I think sometimes people have this false assumption that supporting someone is a burden. And in fact, it's the opposite. You, you find your deepest, best relationships when you help someone walk through a tough time. And you, you don't have to be the one to solve everything. And face it, everybody's going through a tough time right now. So to get past quiet quitting, to get past the great resignation, to keep Gen Z employees, this is probably one of the number one new leadership skills that has to be taught. I couldn't agree with you more. And what's so interesting is the last few months, but I would say even the last few weeks, I've been getting ad hoc requests from the teams and the leaders I support because people are fried and whether they're actually burned out or using the term burnout, but, you know, because they're very different of being stressed versus burnt out, but people are using those interchangeably. And what I've been going back to is I almost feel like is it, you know, it's the basics. It's okay. One, can we just normalize? Like I love it. You said everyone's going through tough times. So can we just normalize the fact that we live and work in a incredibly disruptive, challenging environment? And it's been getting more and more challenging. And I know that people are like, oh, I don't know what to do. So they'll say, here, go call EAP or here's HR. It's the, I'm going to pass you off. And like the, we don't talk about Bruno. Like I don't want to talk about it because I'm not a therapist. I'm not trained. If they all of a sudden, share a whole bunch of uncomfortable things or emotions. I don't know what to do with it. And so what I love about what you're doing, it reminds me of the work we do in the Dare to Lead curriculum, which is helping people identify those empathy misses. And it's like, okay, yep, I, I have no idea like what to do, but I don't have to be the fixer. What I need to do is let you know I see you. 
I see you as a person. I'm validating that I see you and I hear you. And I'm willing to lean in, even though I may not have a freaking clue what to do. So you, you touched on something because when we talk about the uh, generational shift and in the workforce, you talked briefly about Gen Z. And you had an interesting stat before when we talked. We talk about like needing to feel seen. What have you learned about why Gen Z is leaving the workforce? Well, when we look at Gen Z and we look at the data that we're collecting in colleges versus the workplace, most leadership teams I work in the workplace are over the age of 35. And they would have been trained still a little bit with that mentality that we go to work and do our work, we go to home and do home. And they, the two don't really mix. Gen Z is coming up in a whole different way. I have three daughters. They're all Gen Z. So I think I understand the generation a little through them as well. And they're a generation that is lonely and disconnected. They're the generation that has grown up with a phone in their hand. They've had to make friends with a phone in their hand and they value technology a lot, but they're also, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what it's like not to have technology. So they don't know the connectedness that's required of them to feel connected and cared for. So it's something they're searching for and they're thirsty for. I happen to love Gen Z. I think Gen Z is one of the most curious, witty, innovative generations that has been around in our lifetime. And they need the cultivating to know what to do. Because if you look at the data, upwards of 80% of college students feel alone or lonely or isolated. Less than 20% will say, I rarely or never feel isolated or alone. These are ginormous statistics. When you look at the workplace right now, the average is 11% feel lonely or isolated. And then you look at 80%, this gap that's coming in. And so, you know, McKenzie and a couple other firms have done research at Gen Z. It's one of the reasons why everybody's coming out and saying, you have to make sure you have a humanized workforce, which is what you talk about all the time. But McKenzie talks about how Gen Z is so quick to leave the workforce. And the number one reason they'll leave the workforce for is an uncaring leader. It's all right there in print. All the data is there. And we're seeing that on college campuses. I love working with these students because they care. They just want to know how to care themselves. And it just, they go through this great, should I stay or should I grow syndrome, right? Because our bodies are wired for connection, but yet they grew up on screens. So they'll get to a college campus, they'll go to their dorm, they'll be by themselves. They know your body's wiring is seeking connection. Like I need to go be around students. I know I need to be around students. So they'll go find students to be around, but then their social skills are so underdeveloped and it's so awkward for them that they'll just be like, no, I just got to go back to my room. And so it's this great, no, but I don't want to be in my room. I want to be by myself. No, wait, no, I don't want to be people. No, wait, I need to be by myself. And it's exhausting for them. And so leaders and workplaces of the next generation, this is the next workforce. They're in college now. They're coming out any year. This is welcome to the work world. So we need to develop these skills for them in college. But leaders really need to cultivate this generation and understand that caring will go a long way. And, you know, one other thing that we really haven't touched on, but that we see wholeheartedly, like across the board in the workplace, is the workplace is very, very task driven. And so when you're a leader, very rarely are you given incentives and rewards 
that your employees feel seen and cared for. Just didn't used to happen. You're incentivized, you're rewarded based on productivity. And so I've learned through this work when I work with my team, hey, if someone's having a bad day, put the work aside because you know what? I need to make sure they're okay. And when they feel okay, they'll always come back and make sure the work done it's done because they feel like, oh my gosh, that was so nice. I didn't have to work today and I had to get this done. And it always comes back in the end. When you care for people, they're going to care for you back. They'll always get the work done. Whereas if you're task driven and you make someone feel bad because they're having a bad day, you know, if someone with depression or high anxiety, if they literally need the day off, that's who leaves the workforce. And that's Gen Z. And I think increasingly, like to your point, as technology continues to advance, it, it is that dichotomy of, I don't have the human skills. I watch as my son's 12 with his friends and I'm like, yo, put your phone down. Like, let's have a conversation. Cause I'm like, these are life skills that you need to have. And we know we are social species and yet loneliness is going up because friends on Facebook or Instagram or you or whatever followers on TikTok or whatever the heck the social media platform is of the day, like that doesn't equate to connectedness. And I actually like on my personal life way backed off on social media because I was like, you know what? The people who know me and are connected to me, like I will be having conversations with, like it's none of these other people's business. Right? Like it, I just, I like I shift this mentality of I want actual connection versus like I'm going to put stuff out there. And I had conversations with some of my friends, like if you want me to know what's going on in your life, don't assume I'm sitting here watching Facebook because I'm not. Like, call me, text me, let's get together for lunch. And I'm seeing a lot of people that are getting off of some of these platforms and are like, no, I want to get back to human connection, but. Something you said when we think about leaders need to learn a different skill and being more human. I mean, again, whether you look at McKenzie or Corn Ferry or whatever, all of this data or HR trends, it's like coming into 2023, what do leaders need to be? They need to be human. Well, what does that mean? Once, quote unquote, soft skills of empathy, emotional intelligence, knowing how to listen, knowing how to connect to your point, knowing how to care, those aren't soft skills. Those are essential skills or power skills. And so everyone, everyone, like all these learning orgs are talking about that we have to reskill and upskill. Well, it's not just these technical, it's we've got to rethink what development looks like. We've got to rethink, to your point, what it means to be a leader, because it's not just about getting the work done. And I think like formal people leadership is not for everybody. And mm -hmm. you've got to have these non-negotiables and these guiding principles that you hold, hold yourselves to to say, you know what, it's, you can grow in this organization, you can be successful in this organization, but if you're going to actually have a formal responsibility to lead people in this organization, no kidding, you're going to have to be skilled in these areas and we will help you do that. But like th this is non-negotiable. And something you said there too is the more we dive into things, the more we understand it as well. You know, you brought up empathy and, you know, what was it maybe 10 years ago or so emotional intelligence came on the scene, right? Everybody's talking about EQ. And I studied these emotions for a long time, but the thing is, it's very confusing. And a lot of the roadblocks happen because you can't just teach emotions. And I actually take issue with people saying empathy is a skill because it's a noun. It's an emotion. It's not, you can't train a noun. You can't, you can't be empathy by someone. You can't be compassionate by someone. You have to teach the skills. So what happens with our emotions is we can have these great emotions. We can have these emotions of empathy. And let's say somebody is extremely empathic. And see, this is where I, I have this take issue with it because I've lived the last 10 years being surrounded by people of empathy, but yet this gap grows. So sometimes I think we have to understand that we have to go beyond the emotion. 
So if you have empathy, you still are going to have doubt. You can have compassion. You can still have fear. I don't think it's the right time. I don't think I'm the right side. You can still deflect. So we have to train skills regardless of how we feel, right? Like you can have a boss that has full on apathy. Hey, that's okay. He still needs to know what to do. So to me, in order to develop a workplace that has a caring culture, you have to move well past the empathy and compassion. You have to move almost past the emotional intelligence and say, look, if we want an empathic workforce, we have to give them these skills to use, whether you feel like it or not. And you know what? The emotion will cultivate. And we've done two research studies that shows that. We'll take full apathetic kids, like I don't care, like mean, disruptive, and we give them tasks to do and they're required to connect and care with people that are struggling for over eight to 12 weeks, they're changed people. So I think we have to start looking at this culture of care as something that does not have to be all about how we feel. It has to be about real skills that here, if you've got an employee on your team that lost their dad, this is what you do. doesn't matter if you have empathy or not. Here's how you handle it. And that's, I think, where we're getting tripped up. That and not understanding as well, you know, what's the difference between professional, mental health care, self-care, and supportive care? It's all of those things. You have to have access to all three as, uh, as an employer. So can you, ex- I love this. So can you expand a little bit? Because I love when you talk about, you know, the science of care and teaching people to care that it's a skill. So what are some of mm-hmm. the skills or what are some of the things people can do to start to actually activate and show that they care versus in their head or in their minds or hearts believe that they care. Right. Well, now you're hitting the gold, right? This is what we train. You have to first assess it. It's like with any lifestyle skill, right? If you want somebody that wants to get healthier, they have to understand how they're eating wrong in order to know how to eat well. And so to me, this is the same. So we start with our assessments. We start with people's attitudes, behaviors, and mindsets. And so they know where they are. They know what's stopping them. And then we go through it. You know what? You think of the whole self, right? We're talking about you have to bring your whole self to work, right? So there's all sorts of tips and tools that we go through. Like, first of all, let's just go through everything. We have to move from our brain to our heart. Number one, that is a mindset. And it has to be a flip from an HR perspective, from a company culture perspective, they have to make the time, but that's, they have to change the priority so that you're giving your employees time and incentives to do this. That's, that's even before we get there. So we activate our heart over our brain and then we start just look up, right? We have to open up our eyes and up from our screens and watch people. We have to observe and look for things. Secondly, we have to really, really active listen. We focus a lot on listening and to really break through people that are so quick to just talk instead of listening. To care for someone is a lot less talking. So a lot of times we'll focus on expressions. It's not so much what you say, but you have to be happy to see someone. You have to use their name. You have to make sure that your body language is showing support. Then what you can do is get into the words. You can get into our words needed right now, or should I do actions instead? Many times, if the words don't seem right, they're probably not right. So do an action instead. So we give people in their assessments actions they like. What's your favorite way to communicate? 
What's your favorite way to send a message? What your what are your favorite gifts of action? And all of this goes into their own little blueprint that they kind of know their own language. Yep, I tend to be a fixer and I tend to be a deflector. So therefore, I'm going to have to look out for these things. Here are my go-to ways to communicate. Here are my go-to ways to show up for people. And then understanding the longevity of it. This is caring for someone is not just do something on day one and let it go. It is a continual focus on that relationship and a continual following up. It really, what's coming up for me is it's that whole like kind of, for lack of a better way of putting it, self-awareness 101. Like we have to know ourselves and what makes us tick and where we have innate tendencies that can help us that we can leverage and where we have pitfalls that we need to watch out for. So all with the intention that we can show up with intention, right? That we can have the impact we want to have. And I always say that leadership is a set of behaviors and a mindset. It's not about a title or a role. And it doesn't happen on accident. Like we have a choice each and every day and each and every interaction. Am I going to show up as a leader from our definition? Meaning, am I going to look for ways I can maximize my positive impact here? Or when I've missed it, I can go, oh, crap. And I can go back and clean it up and say, you know what? I want to apologize. Be like, I was in a rough spot yesterday or whatever it is. And again, that helps a person go, oh, you care enough about me to come back and clean that up and acknowledge that you weren't in a great spot yesterday. And now trust builds. And what's so what's so fascinating about this is I think it's a precursor to a lot of things. So going back to if you have not equipped people of what does it actually mean and look like to care, like the action of care versus in my mind, I care, then how the heck am I going to have a challenging growth feedback conversation with somebody? Or when you think about you know, yeah, anytime you're going to have feedback conversations or talk about doing things differently or results or even rallying people around a vision, if if I don't feel seen and I don't think you care about me and I don't know how I fit into the picture, I feel like I'm just a number, what are the chances okay. that I'm going to really get behind something? And I think even if you go back to what we've learned about the millennial generation, because these younger two generations are the majority workforce, we're seeing this shift continue to happen. And it's like anyone that's holding on, like, we don't need to care. We don't need to care. Well, yeah, yeah, you do. And th- like they, a lot of times they're looking for a place that they can call home, maybe not forever, but they want to contribute and do something meaningful. And so if I'm not in a spot where I feel like it matters, like how much effort, how much discretionary effort am I going to give if I don't feel like somebody sees me mm-hmm. or if somebody cares about me? Like it's just, it, it, to me, it's a no brainer. It's a whole paradigm shift, right? Like you get it. You know, it's, we've worked with groups, Rosie, that over 35% of people don't have anyone outside of work to fill their bucket. And so if you're not caring for them at work, they have nobody. It's this intersection of a social responsibility and a human need. And it's time, look, we get it. We, you know, it used to be that you went to school, you went home to your support system. You went to work, you went home to your support system. We don't live in that world anymore. Families are split all over the place. Technology has changed how we communicate. And there are a lot of people isolated and lonely. So the workplace and our schools are exactly where belonging and mattering and connecting and making community is happening right now. Very, very different than it used to be. And so the leadership sometimes is the last to catch on to that. And so the early adapters are going to be the ones that are going to do do well. One of the things that keeps coming up is around mental health in general, right? And emotional well-being in general, but also in the workplace. So 
fall of 2022, you know, U.S. Surgeon General puts out their framework for mental health in the workplace. We've had several high profile celebrity suicides, um, you know, just all kinds of stuff going on. And so people talk. It's almost like, you know, when something tragic happens, people talk about for a while and then they kind of go back into life as usual and business as usual. And it's like, how much do we need to be in this crisis mode and how many different organizations and research publications and whatnot need to like say, yeah, no kidding people. Like it is a paradigm shift. Like it's a new era. Like we cannot keep operating mm -hmm. the same way. I think there's a quote from Peter Drucker that I use that's, that I'm going to botch it, but it's something like the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence itself. It's acting with yesterday's logic. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so I love, I love everything you're doing and it's just, it's so needed and so relevant. And I think any organization and any formal leader that thinks that they can keep acting with yesterday's logic and don't need to look at what does it actually mean to care? What does it mean to create these psychologically safe environments so people can do the work? Because it's uncomfortable to shift your mindset. It's uncomfortable to build the skills to care. It's uncomfortable to go, oh my gosh, if I don't deflect, then I got to deal with cringy emotions. Then I got to deal with uncomfortable situations, right? If I don't fix well, then what? What value do I add? Because I get my identity and value from being a fixer. I mean, all of these things come up for people. So I think it's it's not it's building the skills for them, but it's also helping them reconcile whatever discomfort and self-limiting stories we might have that is going to get in our way of even leaning into this work, even though we know it's essential and critical. Yeah, definitely. So speaking of self-limiting stories, one of the things that I've become very aware of in our work is that we have these self-limiting stories that show up usually in times of challenge or times of stress more so than on a day-to-day, -day, but they can show up whenever that we may not even realize that show up, but they keep us from stepping into our magnificence. They keep us safe. They keep us small. So what I would love, Jen, if you would be willing to share with everybody is what is a self-limiting story that you have that still shows up sometimes and when it shows up, what do you do or how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader in your life and maximize your positive impact? <laughs> oh, these are the fun questions, right? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I've been in business development all my life and many times the self-limiting is like, who am I to do this? There's, you know, I, I'm not a PhD. I'm not schooled to create mental health solutions, but yet you keep diving into it because you know there has to be a solution. And so in working with PhDs and in working with amazing organizations, it actually grows you more. I actually feel more equipped because I get to work with them, but also take a whole different skill set to apply. And so that has always probably been you know, what I think stops so many entrepreneurs is like, you just get to the point like, well, I, am I the right person to do this? You know, you have your good days and your bad days. And those are on your bad days. You let those little gremlins in your head. But when you overcome them, it just gives you so much more energy and passion for your work because you did climb that mountain. I love that. And I think there's such universality to that. Oh, who am I to do this? I find myself saying that. And then it's like, you have a different perspective, right? 
it's additive. It's not scarcity. Only one person can be the voice of whatever it may be or struggling or mental health and connection. We all have a slightly different spin and that different take or that different spin resonates different with different people. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Are you ready for quick questions? Okay. (laughs) With, With a nervous laughter. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is? Being honest and open and uncomfortable and curious. Love it. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? Write it down, reflect on it, find the gratitude. Think a year from now, what will I have wanted myself to do in this situation? That is probably the most well thought out answer to that question. I love it. (laughs) What is something people would be surprised to know about you? (laughs) that I am from Wisconsin and I am a cheesehead at heart. I love being from Wisconsin. I love this state. I love the people here that being a Midwesterner is a proud thing to be. You don't have to live on one of the coasts to um, actually have fun in life. Hey, as a neighbor in Minnesota, hey, we might be be a little rivalry between Minnesota and Wisconsin, but it's all good. All right. What's your favorite go-to movie? Oh, my goodness. Well, this time of year, I have to say It's a Wonderful Life is one of my all-time favorites. Oh, my gosh. You know what's so funny is literally just before this, my son and I were driving. We were bringing our dogs to the vet to get groomed, and we were talking about this weekend because we're getting a big snowstorm. We're going to be snowed in. It's Christmas time as we're we're filming this. And my mom, unfortunately, isn't going to be able to come down for Christmas because she fell. She's in the hospital. And But I, was, I said to my son, he's never seen It's a Wonderful Life. And I said, that is grandma's favorite movie. And I'm like, for one, you need to like, you can't be in this life and not have seen that movie. But it's also grandma's favorite. So in honor of her, we are watching that this weekend. So that's so funny you say that because we were just talking about it. Okay. What's your go-to song? My go-to song? Oh, my goodness. I've... Oh. You caught me on this one. I I have a playlist of like 20,000 songs, but you know what? Everything Taylor Swift is probably right now because I have three daughters and that's all we're listening to is Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift karma. Yeah. There you go. That would be it. Taylor Swift karma. All right. I like it. (laughs) What is something you can't live without? My family. What is something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy? A combination of my quiet time in the morning. I started when I moved away from Connecticut. When I left all of my friends in Sandy Hook, I started sending them images of encouragement. I make an image, I put a quote to it, and I text it out every morning. I do this before I start my day. The list has grown to probably around 100 people. And... There are times that I'm super busy that I don't do it, and my day isn't as good. And even if I'm in a rush, I'll know those four or five people I have to hit that day. And it it goes back to the science of care that when you care for someone, you're cared for back. And that just, I live that every day. And my heart is happy when I do it, and I feel worse if I don't. That's so fantastic. I'm going to request to be added to your text list. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) Okay. And what are you grateful for right now? Well, 
Honestly, I am grateful that my mother-in-law has made it through the last two days because two days ago she was in the hospital and things looked very dire. My husband flew there to be with her right now and she turned a corner yesterday and that I can't even tell you how grateful for I am. Nothing compares to that. Oh, (laughs) that makes my heart happy. That makes my heart so happy. Okay. So Jen, closing question. If you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? I would ask them every day that whoever they run into on their team, they would look them in the eye and smile and use their name and ask them if there's anything going on that they need support in that day. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com and, of course, hit that follow button.